0: Today, it's all about creating better black and white portraits on Behind the Shot. Hi, as always, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel, the host. This is the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all those stories and challenges that happen in between. If you ever want to reach out to me, the best bet is to find me on social media, my most Favorite sites, I guess I would say, is Twitter and Instagram, and it's at Steve Brazzle on Twitter or Instagram, or for the podcast, it's at behind the shot TV. And of course you can hit the websites as well, SteveBrazel.com or behind the shot. TV And for BehindTheShot.tv, that's where you will find the show notes for today's episode. I've got a blurb that I've written about my guest today, a small gallery of his work so that you can kind of see what he does. And uh, you can just go by there and browse some old episodes if you want to as well, which brings us to the guest. I want to get this guest in quick today. Uh, Toronto-based photographer, mentor, educator, speaker, Mr. Ron Clifford. How are you, sir?
1: Hello. I'm doing really well. I'm really glad to be here and looking forward to, to- discussing this image particularly.
0: Well, and I've known your name for a long time. You're well-known in the photography space, but the way that this kind of meeting happened was our mutual friend, Rick Salmon, uh, sent me an email saying, you need to get Ron Clifford on the show. And I'm like, well, Rick Salmon said I need to get Ron Clifford on the show. (laughs) Done. (laughs) I need to call him. You are, when I say I've heard of you before, it's because you're well out there in the photography space and your photography speaks for itself because what you shoot is, I, I think, extreme locations for me, right? I'm not going to go through the Strait to get to Antarctica. Not going to happen. <laughs> There's not enough Dramamine or Bonine in the world for me to do that straight. But your yeah. nature, landscape, wildlife photographer, the, uh, the Arctic, Antarctica, Africa. How? I mean, does that kind of sum it up for you? How do you describe what you shoot?
1: Yeah. So, so today when I answer people, they say, what do you photograph or, 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 you know, you're a photographer. I say, yeah, I'm a portrait photographer and I take portraits of nature and I take portraits of people. So what, what I try to do is reveal character and beauty in the world around me and in the people I meet.
0: That's that, a great that basically description. Sums it up. That is a great description. You take portraits of nature. Yeah. I've never heard that before. I like that. Uh, you've been featured by Google. Yeah. And I didn't realize this, but you were director of the Google Plus mentorship program for photographers.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: I miss Google Plus. I sure do. Boy, I mean, do I. I shouldn't say that. I miss parts of Google Plus.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Google Plus launched, really helped launch me into a more stable career. And that's when I really leaned into mentoring. And so from Google Plus, I met a, a number of, uh, what I would consider mentors and incredible photographers, you know, uh, you know, the Trey Ratcliffe of the world. And, and, and I worked with Trey Ratcliffe on developing his, his mentorship platform for many years. And, uh, now I run my own private platform, but yeah, Google and, and that whole experience, it's a bit bittersweet, but I, I really owe, owe Google a lot for launching that.
0: Um, yeah. And yeah. you mentioned Trey, Trey's been on the show twice. Uh, twice, three times, I forget. Uh, Fantastic shows, by the way, people go look up the shows with Trey Ratcliffe. The first one was this museum in France that was, he started talking color theory and my mind melted for a little bit. And the second one's on Burning Man shots because really Trey's shots of Burning Man kind of define, I've never been, it kind of defines Burning Man to me, but you mentioned his mentorship program, which is Arcanum. Uh, Don Komorechka, my buddy was involved with that as well, but it was a mentoring program. And Portrait uh, Masters International, you're a multiple award winner, silver medals, bronze medals. And this was the interesting one that I didn't know about until we started planning this. You were a TEDx speaker, uh, the bipolar photographer, was that? That's right. The title? Yes. How traveling to the
1: ends of the earth helps me cope with my diagnosis. When was that? Yeah. So that was two years ago. 2 years ago this month in fact and um that talk was given i i had a, a a couple things on my bucket list and for some reason on a on a vision board when i first did one i didn't believe in vision boards and um i was challenged to do one and and after a bit of kicking and screaming i thought they were a little woo woo out there you know and i said okay you know what there there was, there was a three or four of us and i said okay I, i'm going to try this out i'm going to i'm going to do one i'm going to kind of wrap it around how I believe they could work. And so I did one and one of the first things on it was actually a a TED talk or a TEDx talk. And I don't even know why I put it there. That that was way back, maybe 2015 or 14, 13. I don't know when it was. It was, actually it was uh, uh, 2014 because Antarctica was on that board and I hadn't gone to Antarctica yet. But TEDx was on that board. Antarctica was on that board. Speaking in front of people was on that board. Uh, a home studio with these rich wooden floors was on the board. And I learned in 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 a matter of days and months that my visions were too small. <laughs> Interesting. So I did I finished that board on a on a weekend. And the following Monday, a friend of mine called me up and said, I need to talk to you. I'm in town. Can we get together? And his dad had just passed away. And I thought he wanted to get together and kind of go over that because I'm his lifelong friend. And I said, Sure, I'll get together with you. And we went out for dinner. And- we did talk about his dad, a uh, very unfortunate passing from Alzheimer's. And, and he said, Ron, I mean, I did want to talk to you about my dad, but the real reason you know, that, so I finished the board on Sunday. This was like Monday. The real reason I wanted to talk to you was I wanted to know if you'd be interested in joining a photography symposium team in Antarctica. Wow. In October. Yeah. And I just, I just about fell on the floor, you know? And I said, "Well, of course. I don't care how it happens. The answer is yes, you know. Well, Of course, I, I didn't understand the Drake Passage at the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, see, and now you. But now you know what I mean. I haven't seen the Drake Passage, and I'm okay yeah. with that. I'm. I. So, I will so, live a good life knowing the Drake yeah. Passage is there. And I'm. Well,
1: the, the over fortunate here. thing. I say fortunate. The fortunate thing was in my first trip, we encountered seven to nine meter waves between two near hurricane force storms. And I would never been seasick before, before then. <laughs> well, until now. Yeah. And so, yeah, I said in my, in my talk, I said, if I, if, if I ever uh, get a t-shirt, it's going to say, I never get seasick, but when I do, it's on the Drake passage.
0: So but how the, how the TEDx talk come from that? I mean, I don't know how one becomes a TEDx speaker.
1: So I, locally um, I thought, well, I don't even know what I'm going to talk on, but I, I have a story, and and, you know, maybe that's a story for another day, but I've overcome the debilitating effects of bipolar disorder, and I also travel to the ends of the earth. So the bipolar photographer is not just a play on words, it's a reality for me. Right, right. And I discovered that when I go to extreme places, it forces you, like the Drake Passage, to live in the moment. And although I understand intellectually the idea that you should live in the moment You know, I can't spend too much time in the future that causes anxiety or too much time in the past because that can cause ruminating and depression. When I was in the moment, I was really stable. And that was remarkable. And so that uh, when Newmarket announced that uh, uh, some people I knew were going to run the first Newmarket, which is, I'm just north of Toronto, the first Newmarket. TEDx talk. I remember waking up in the morning and seeing this like eight, eight, seven and eight in the morning on my phone. New Market is having its first TEDx talk and it's on mental health. Wow. Well, well. So the vision I board
0: knew. and then literally
1: these things line up. These oh, okay. things all just went into like, and I'm sitting in a studio with rich wooden floors in my home that didn't exist at the time that I made the Vision board. I love that. That is so. so These things, they just kind of melted into place. And um, it's not that I didn't work toward them. I I work hard. We all work hard. We work toward these things. But I couldn't have anticipated that these opportunities would align with intention and hard work. And so it's not magical. I I don't believe vision boards are magical. I, I believe they give us something to have faith toward. So something to right, direct right. our energy toward, and that's how I. It's a roadmap. I was able to. It, it's yeah. it's
0: it's it's a roadmap. It's not a prediction. It's not a guarantee. No, it's it's a goal no. board basically.
1: It, it's goals and something to have faith to work toward, so that the effort that you have has a, a focused direction. Yeah. I,
0: I want to circle back on something you said, photography wise, because this that that line you said, of, I am a portrait photographer. I take portraits of nature. Right. Yeah. But there's a skill set difference to me. So oh, a huge skill set. Wildlife, yeah. nature, landscape, not all the same things. And then studio portrait work, location portrait work. Cause you do, yeah. do port actual portraits. In fact, that's what we're gonna talk about today.
1: Yeah. My my life is is full of these these this and that. Like this is my life. It's always but a there this is a skill set difference. So so yeah, since you shoot all of it. What
0: is, how do you define to somebody looking at those genres, portrait, landscape, nature, wildlife? What is the skill set difference that people need as they switch hats between those? Is Is there a common thread or are there any things that make
1: them unique in the shooting experience? The answer is yes to both. Okay. Um, uh, when I started in photography, I started in, in weddings and portraits and weddings are great because they, they help you think on the fly right away. You got to solve lighting problems really fast as a wedding or event mm-hmm. photographer. You're, you're given, you go to a, a wedding event. You didn't know it's you're, you're in a glass room, now, how do you light it? Right? right. How do you use your strobes? So that's one thing is, is that led to this idea that you need to know your gear. Like, a lot of people say, "Well, the best camera you have with you is the one that that you have with you, right?" Right. And I agree to that. In a pinch, but this camera is going to do me no good to photograph a lion at dusk at a hundred yards.
0: Right. Same from a with moving me. Boat. I I do vacations now with my phones. Uh, we just did a driving vacation to Seattle, and and it, it was a struggle for me to do. But I went. I'm just going to take my iPhone 11 Pro Max and just have fun with it. And that way I'm not the dad saying, hold on everybody while I kneel down and get the shot that's perfect and that I want. However, I'm a live music shooter and I'm not going to take that in a photo pit and take any serious usable photos with it.
1: No, no. they're, They're amazing now, but, but gear is important and knowing it well. And so that you can make adjustments quickly, but the principles of photography never change, And so you understand that in the studio, Motion's not usually a big issue, though it can be. And so you have more fixed setting. I tend to shoot fully manually in the studio because I can control the light. Right. In nature, I most often shoot in manual with auto-ISO because I'm often moving between scenes, shooting in burst mode, and all my fine adjustments happen with the exposure compensation dial.
0: Right. So I'm really which, on the Which fly in that able case to- is only affecting your auto ISO.
1: That's right. So my ISO moves up and down. Because I need to know if it's a bird in flight, I want to shoot at F8, but I also want to shoot at one two thousandths of a second. So I need a variable. The right. only thing left is ISO Yeah. for me to make rapid adjustments too.
0: See, it's, it's similar to how I shoot. I shoot all my shows. I mean, there's a few exceptions, but I shoot almost all my, my events at 2.8 because yeah. there's so much clutter on a stage that I want yeah. that background separation. And what I tell people is that's, that's not a curse. It's not bad that you're shooting at 2.8. If you're not used to it, get used to shooting at a wide aperture. But yeah. in reality, it makes everything easier, right? I set my yeah. shutter for the subject. If I'm, if I'm shooting James Taylor sitting on a stool versus, you know, a slipknot that's jumping in the air, okay, I'm going to change and have a different shutter speed, but I'm always at 2.8. Yeah. So
1: and my ISO variable?
0: just goes where the general is for that night And I can just change my shutter. You you remind me kind of of Rick in a way, Rick Salmon, because his, you know, saying is I specialize in not specializing. Yeah, that's right. You know, that, that
1: kind of, kind of. His portfolio is definitely more diverse than mine. Um, Yeah. He does specialize in not specializing. So this shot for today.
0: Yes. When the way I do this, for those of you that have, that are watching and don't know. I always wanna pick a shot that I have questions on, right? Because if I don't have questions, it's gonna be a short show. But I I want, and and you can have, by the way, great shots that there's just no questions on. It can be a magical, amazing shot that anybody would be proud of, but everybody looks at it and goes, oh, well, I know what you did, right? So whenever I pick a shot, I usually have my guests, like Ron here, send me five images or so that they think would work that I pick from that I like. And when we were going back and forth on the shots, when I saw this particular image, it leaped at me. There is something, it's a portrait, but there is something absolutely magical about everything going on in this shot. So so let's start here. And, And again, I want to remind people that if you want to see this image, if you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, Keep in mind that you can actually go to BehindTheShot.tv. There's a gallery of Ron's work there. You can go look at that. You can read a little thing that I wrote as well. And you can see the picture if you're listening to the audio version. And also, I would encourage you, this uh, podcast is available for you in audio-only form in your podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. And it's also available wherever you get your podcasts in video form if that service supports video. So... Whatever it is, if you're a podcast person, you can get it audio or video. Or if your app doesn't support video, they're up on YouTube as well. So you can you know go there to see this shot. And with that in mind, the shot is called, correct me if I'm wrong, it's called The Baptism.
1: That's right. Yes.
0: Okay. So I'm going to try, I do this every time. Score me at the end if you want to, Ron, because I, I don't do well usually. But I'm going to give it a shot describing this for the audio people. Okay. Yeah. When I look at this image, when, you, when I first saw this image, I think I first saw it actually either on your website or maybe on your Instagram. The first thing that hit me was symmetry, right? Whenever I look at an image, I'm a big, like even when I judge image comps, it's, it's always impact is one of the biggest things to me and what causes the impact. And for this particular shot, it's all about symmetry. It is a black and white portrait of a young lady in water Now, she is in water, mid-thigh down. And above mid-thigh, she's out of the water. She's in a white dress, or at least, so it would seem seem as it's it's a black and white shot. And there's little things in here I think a lot of people might miss. I, I think they'd subconsciously register them. But the white dress has wings. So from the elbow down to the hip, is like a fabric triangle connecting to the waist, almost as though it were a wing under her arms. Long hair, but a large necklace. Like the necklace even stands out against the white dress. And and here's one of the little things. The necklace is like the perfect length, right? If that necklace was a little bit shorter, it would be okay she's wearing a necklace. Here, by the length of the necklace, which I'm sure was accidental, it separates the necklace pendant from the shadows on the dress and the hair, okay? She's looking up, she's facing straight at the camera, she's dead center frame. Again, symmetry. She's looking up at about 45 degrees to the sky and her hands are out straight, elbows straight with her hands slightly above shoulder height and her palms up. So you can kind of picture almost, you know, looking at the sky, looking at the heavens type thing. But here's the thing. And and this is, there's water coming off of her hands because she's in the water as though she put her hands in the water and she lifted up the water, creating what are not exact copies. It's not like this was cloned, flipped and put on the other side. Okay. And yet, her hands manage to pull up at identical pace or direction or speed or something to where the splashes are almost symmetrical, but not enough to make it look fake. And they create actual wings, right? And this is one of my favorite parts. And this is where I really want to give you credit, is the framing. All of this is happening below mid frame. Like the top of her head is just slightly above mid-frame. I'd probably say center frame is about under her chin. Just her head is above center frame. And the rest is all blank space. White space, as they call it, or in this case, black space. Um, Just fantastically done. So the question would then be, how'd I do?
1: Yeah, I think you did a really good job. Um, I have the liberty of having the image in front of me, but I think people that listen to the podcast are gonna have a reasonable idea of what this image is gonna look like when they see it. It's heavenly,
0: right? It's like she's looking at the heaven, she's raising her hands to uh, God or whatever she might be thinking at the moment, But but the spray of water coming off her fingertips and making this curled wing, not symmetrical, slightly bigger on frame right, but even the water droplets splatting out are just right. So let's start here. Technical stuff. You're not going to take this same shot with these same settings, but it'll give you a baseline if you're new at photography. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong on any of this because I got it out of EXIF data. Nikon D750. Yes. With the classic portrait lens, 85 1.8. Manual mode. Although you told me in the green room that you shoot auto ISO. That's right. Which ended up at 900, correct? Yeah. Okay. 85 millimeters, obviously. F2.8, even though it's a 1.8 lens, and an 800th of a second. So let's start there. No flash and no. white balance set to auto. So let's start with the settings. You shoot manual but auto ISO. Yes. So you that, that would mean that you dialed in 800th of a second F2.2.
1: Yes. Why? So I am trying to get my shutter speed. I was actually trying to get my shutter speed over a thousand and I might've bumped it because I want to get the water drops sharp, but not pin sharp. I want some movement. I know over a thousand, they're going to start to get really sharp. Okay. And at say 500, they're going to be too fuzzy. There's real intention behind water movement. I spent a lot of time around water and shooting with water. And so I know that 800 to a thousand was literally where i needed to find myself i'm shooting on what the d70 was burst frame rate was what seven frames a second or six frames it's not a lot i wish i'd had my d5 but i didn't um, at the time so that's when we're dialing in the settings it's also what you may not have there is the exposure bias is minus two thirds and so when i shoot in auto iso i use my exposure compensation to get. The, just nail the exposure. There's lots of ways you could do it. I could have spot metered on her face, for example, or or uh, somewhere else where I wanted to get it right. And But we're working with very rapidly changing conditions. It's the end of the day. There's no direct sunlight. It's overcast. And she's actually coming out of a tunnel. It's an underpass for a creek. Oh, and okay. there's, there's a bit of Photoshop magic had to happen here because I couldn't completely get the background black. So my exposure, minus two thirds, allowed that white to sit perfectly without overexposing.
0: Wow. Okay. And and first of all, let me just say this. Every time a Nikon shooter says I was using spot metering on a non top of the line body, a slight piece of my Canon photographer body dies. Because just
1: to be clear, I wasn't using I didn't use spot metering. I used matrix metering. But you could have. I could have, but I I didn't. (laughs) Whereas unless on a Canon, you've got a 1D series,
0: I've got a 5D Mark IV and spot metering is useless because, I mean, here it wouldn't be because you'd use center point, but spot metering doesn't follow your focus point on a Canon.
1: No, no. I'm sorry. I'm a Canon shooter before people attack me for
0: digging on Canon. I'm a Canon shooter. That's my whole point here. Um, Yeah. So this is a tunnel. Okay. that, That brings some things into vision here then. Did you go there with this
1: shot in mind? So that's the interesting thing. You know, a lot of things happen when you're busy making other plans, right? Yeah. And so we were we were at this river by this place that I like to shoot conceptual work on the other side of the bridge doing a shot. And uh, I believe we had smoke with us and we were doing a shot for Ophelia. And so it was a conceptual shot. And another model was modeling in the creek. These Ophelia shots and kind of crossing over to fashion. At the end of the day, she actually lied in the creek with her eyes closed and we shot from above because Ophelia uh, in the How'd endimes, you get up on a bridge? Because it is a train right, okay. train overpass. We just climbed up the hill where the train goes over and shot down right. below. And so there's a lot of shots in this session. And we were moving to the other side. We saw because the the sun was disappearing, we were losing our light. Said, let's walk through the tunnel to the other side. And my daughter who was assisting that day had this dress like poncho on. This and is your daughter? Wa- this is my daughter, yeah. This is Beth. She she models frequently for me. I can see yeah. why. I have to pay her though. <laughs> she, well she doesn't
0: As well yeah. you should, sir. As well you yes, should.
1: And I do. Um and she's walking through the creek and she was splashing water. And you know, I turned around and I said, stop right there. Like it just Stop the world. I just saw a shot. And I said, can you splash and lift your arms up for me as you walk forward? And um, okay. okay, let me let me interject yeah.
0: here really quick. I apologize. You you had the vision, you said, can you just stop and swing your arms up? At that moment, did even then, did you just see water or did you see this type of wing type symmetry?
1: No, I saw the water, the splashing. I love shooting with water, models in water. Um, and she was walking. So I just want, I, I, she did the splash. She might've even done it with one hand in the beginning. And I, I took a series of pictures. I just hammered down and, and uh, I looked at it and I said, I said, I have an idea. I have an idea. Let's, and, and I had to get her to walk out to me because I needed to push the exposure of the tunnel down and get her out. Right into the correct exposure, so but
0: still standing. So this is daylight uh, then.
1: Yeah, and, and, and overcast day, end of the day, it's starting to get dark. The ISO is climbing, and uh, so that's why I'm shooting at uh, 2.2, and I don't like to shoot that lens at 1.8. It's just finicky on the autofocus at 1.8. Right. I don't know why Nikon, like both the 1.4 and the 1.8 are finicky as heck on. Well,
0: and, and but here's the thing, 2.2 not just helps you with her because her face is at an angle right yeah because she's she's looking up at 45 degrees unlike a normal portrait her forehead and mouth might be on the same plane and her eyes might be close to the same plane by tilting the top of her head back her mouth and eyes and hair are all on different planes now so that 2.2 probably helped you with that plus i would argue that the water droplets that 2.2 probably helped the water droplets look more evenly which I've got to I've got to commend you on your water droplets here. Water is tough, right? I mean, from yeah. a specular highlight point of view, I don't care if it's overcast or not. When you're exposing for a white dress where you can't go too dark because it's gonna start looking weird when you bring it back. But you're trying to save those the highlights on the water droplets, right? It would be easy to clip the highlights on that water, those water drops.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Really? And you didn't. So. Yeah. I mean, at all. I was really grateful that she was wearing white that day for this shot, because I think if there was anything else, I'd really have struggled with nailing the exposure on this shot.
0: Let, let me ask this. The white, the dress does not look as though it's pure white. Like it's not it's, bridal white, correct?
1: It's a cotton white. So that's natural cotton, okay. but it's white, but it's not bridal white. No, it it's is not literally- It's wha- type white. If you were there um, and you switched your camera over to black and white, that's what it would look like right there.
0: Okay, well, I mean, I I've increased you, some
1: contrast and worked on the raw file, but
0: what what happened in the black and white here also is the 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 water droplets came out kind of the same color white as the dress. I shouldn't say color yeah. white; it came out the same kind of shade of white, exposure wise, as the dress. Yeah. So it it not only accentuates the dress, the dress, the water droplets, but it really looks as though it's all one piece. That those water droplets are part of her. And yeah. I absolutely
1: love that. And when you shot this, you knew you were going to go black and white. Yeah, there was, yeah, that was the intention, right? As soon as I saw it, it was right from the start. Often when I'm shooting in portrait, because I do like black and white portraits, I will switch my camera to the black and white mode in camera, even though the, the raw file is in color when it comes into Lightroom. Right. I want to see it in black and white in my camera.
0: Because your JPEG and preview is black and white, then.
1: That's right, and so I, I get to actually see more of what I'm trying to arrive at. So that's and a so great the,
0: tip, actually, right there for just yeah. black and white portrait photography is shoot RAW yeah. so that you've got the capability, but
1: yeah, shoot RAW and switch it to monochrome.
0: Yeah, in pre, your camera profile. Yeah,
1: yeah, I do that all the time, and and that helps me really envision the final product.
0: Well, but I guess I, I'm going to go I'm going to go deeper into the concept of black and white portraiture. Why? How did you know that? And again, you've got the color. I get that. But in your head, you already knew that you were going to do black and white.
1: Yeah.
0: Why? In other words, let me let me rephrase that. You're looking at shooting a studio portrait and you're, you're you know that there is an option possibly to go black and white. What is your deciding factor? What are the, what are the mental roads that you take to get to, and this could be in post-processing as well, right? Yeah. What are the mental roads that you personally take to say that needs to be black and white? And, and let's stay with, por- I mean, because it'd be a, actually a slightly different conversation on wildlife or nature, although yeah. kind of the same.
1: And I shoot far less black and white in nature, far, far less.
0: So yeah. what is your, what is, what is your thought process when you're shooting
1: black and white? What do you, what, what's your... So my my first answer to that is black and white distills an image to its essential emotional connection. Like it literally, I I am a huge uh, proponent or preacher of simplicity in imagery. Only have the number of elements that you need to make a powerful image. If you have too many elements, it takes away from the power of an image. And so this is really important in portraiture really important. It's all photography, but portraiture, you start eliminating elements. I say, the artist looks at a blank canvas and says, what can I add to this to make a powerful image? The photographer's role as an artist is the same, but opposite. He looks at everything in front of him and says, what can I take away to make a powerful image? Because all I got is this frame right here. So 85 millimeter in this gives me the the right feel of everything. And I have to be back quite a ways. I'm actually in, in um, what's those, fishing waders, you know, in this creek. Yeah, okay. If she walks two more feet forward, she's up to her waist. It's, it's It was really a challenging shot. And my camera is, is precariously close to the water.
0: <laughs> Which, by the way, I should have mentioned that in the description. This isn't an eye-level shot. No. It's also not a shooting up shot. So the camera is... Again, she's water mid-thigh down and the camera's probably waist high. So it's equidistant on the lens projection above and below yeah. center line on the it, lens.
1: It doesn't doesn't shoot up like that. Right. It I come down to the water with my camera. This is something that I'll, I will always do is I tend to shoot low. I like what you parallel. said though
0: about black and white and, and that it yeah. distills it down. Because one of the things I, I just uh, had a gentleman on the, I was telling you in the green room, green room, uh, retired Navy SEAL, Darren yeah. uh, McBurnett. And it's a black and white shot of Navy SEAL training. And the shot that we used, an underwater shot of people doing drowning survival training. And it's the same type of a thing. The color would have distracted, right? It, mm-hmm. it distills it down to geometric shapes almost. It also gives you an easier way to craft the light when you're just dealing with 256 shades of gray instead of 16 million, you know, whatever, whatever colors. Your composition here, though, the water has no background. So the water goes into the black and the water has no edges. It's almost like a a infinity edge pool. Love that. Right. you kind Mm -hmm. of already said how you did the camera to set that up. Yeah. But you did choose. Now, the picture here on the video, go look at the picture on the website at BehindTheShot.tv, but the picture in the video is on a black background, so it's going to look like there's even more space. But yeah. again, mid mid space is right about where her chin is. What was your idea framing and composition-wise on only having that much and her hands are just about at the center line and leaving that that white space?
1: Yeah, when I when I looked at as I, I I created the composition as she moved forward as she put her two hands in and we I saw this arc of the water.
0: I that remember was, how when challenging you first saw that was. that had to be magical.
1: Well, yeah, it was. It was like it's, it's, every once in a while you're in a position where you just want to you want to scream for joy that you right like I I could not have planned this ahead of time. Maybe I could have. I don't think I would have. I, I just think elements between. Personal vision, you know, my, my personal views on things, personal vision, the kind of shooting I was doing around water. Like, uh, I, I, you may have the, the, the bodybuilder image on, on some of the images that I sent you. It's probably in the gallery. Yeah. Water splashing off or I really, I really like that. So all these things come together when this moment literally unfolds for you. And so if your mind is already prepared And you see that moment then then it's kind of a bit of your intention and a bit of serendipity that come together to create this moment of oh my goodness like i have to make this image like the whole world has to stop and we've got 20 minutes before the the light's gone
0: i i like what you said when you said i don't know if i could have done this if i tried and then you switched and said i don't know if i would have and that to me is the beauty of photography right So many great shots come out of just either experimentation, meaning intentionally aiming into the wind, or just sheer, whoa, I didn't think that would work, right? And almost accidental. Did you, okay, two questions really quick on composition. Were you aware of where the midline was
1: as you were shooting? I I was aware because... I wanted.
0: Like, was your I focus wanted, point
1: on her chin? It's well, I would have locked focus as I shot through. I would have locked, and because I use back button. So I would have locked on her face. Yes. And then released and let her do her thing. And so uh, this image would never work without the space above it. First of all, you have point and counterpoint, the white and the black. Like, right. there's so many stories in this. I could go on and on and on about this. Oh, yeah the deeper stories, the Jungian stories, the Christian stories, the, you you go through this, but there's an anticipation. In the Christian story of Christ's baptism, the spirit descended on like a dove. Well, we've got all those elements here and the yeah. anticipation of that moment, but we've created a very dove-like stance just yeah. with the water. yeah. And so we're, we're taking these, these archetypal uh, stories into an image. And we needed that space for her to look into. We needed the heavenly. We needed the unknown, the mystery that's caused by the space. nose, the
0: nose room as they call it, right? Yeah. It, you'll hear people say, you know, and by the way, there are great reasons folks to break this particular rule, but generally if somebody's doing yeah. you know a a uh, profile type shot, you want them on the side of the frame where the back of their head is, and you want nose room in front of them for them to either look into, move into, whatever. There are some amazing classic imagery where somebody has the full frame behind them, and they're looking yeah. at the edge of the frame, and that can be just as powerful as where are they coming from, but generally you want nose room, and it works here. But sure. did, did you do multiple shots at this until you got the, the
1: water wings?
0: So, so perfect. What I or did, please I did don't do things. tell me that worked first try. Oh yeah, that was
1: yeah my first burst. It was perfect. No, that's not what happened at all. <laughs> I, first, we had to get the scoop right. So I said, scoop it up, and I just kept shooting through these every time. Just get, and I said, now at first she was scooping and she was literally tipping her hands in. I don't even see that. She would tip her hands in. I said, no, 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 you gotta you gotta leave your hands flat with your arms. You gotta you gotta move out. So she had literally kind of like a chicken and move out like that because I wanted that. The, that splash originates right beside her. Right, and you can tell. Yeah, and then it moves around her. Well, like and she's pushing, more-
0: the, the water goes beyond, I should have mentioned this too, those wings are huge. They go beyond her fingertips as though, like you say, she's pushing almost out.
1: Yeah, so she pushes out and then finishes the pose. And I said, you just keep moving through that and don't tip your hands in. And so what I did was I got that pose Got her to do that and was trying to get the exposure right and the light right, like moving, like when I said, walk forward and splash, because if she was too far back, the water disappeared in the shot. Like it didn't show up. So then I moved her off center. And what you need to know about this shot, um, for you purists, I apologize. I'm not a purist. I'm an artist. And this is a a tunnel under, under earth, a stone tunnel, an old stone tunnel under a train earth train area and there's light behind her and to the to her right to our left there's it almost looks like a moon in the original shot but there's an opening behind her oh and i took liberty this was done in lightroom to use the the uh, uh, adjustment brush and bring the exposure to black because i had to get rid of that that was not a supporting element well no and and i would
0: argue The key to this as a black and white is that there is pure black, right? There is a lot of pure black. If that background, because there's so much of it, by the way, if that background wasn't black, I mean, you know, zero on the zero to 255 scale, it wouldn't work because that's what goes against the the subtle, you know, whites and grays that are in the dress and are in the water. But you mentioned in Lightroom, using the adjustment brush to bring it down. What else would you have done to this
1: in post? So we got that. And I knew when I framed it, like I said, I moved her off a little bit from the circle to make sure that it was going to be easy in post. I didn't want that circle right around her head. We tried that. It didn't look good at all. We moved it and I said, I got to get rid of the circle when I was looking at the image on the camera.
0: And and let me mention to people really quick, I've got the image without the two of us on screen right now. And so this is the actual crop of the image that you're seeing on screen. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah. And then um, the water itself, the symmetry was imperfect. There was a bit of tilt. Her right hand to our left was a little low and the the spray on her left hand, our right was a little sparse. And so I used a liquify tool in Photoshop to give me my symmetry. Just, Just pushed it a little bit. Because literally if you drew a line, her thumbs are right on the line. Oh no. Yeah. It's, it's exact. And so that's what I did. Just use a little liquid just to pull it. Because if I tip the image, then you could tell, like I couldn't just tip the image because then she's in crooked water. So we have about a, probably a three degree alteration to make this just right. And then I, I just borrowed and flipped a few of the speckles from her right side and brought them over to her left but in a way that you don't see any repeats at all like Not, you wouldn't no, you wouldn't detect it because if if there was any repeats your eyes would see that immediately that's in what this, our eyes do. this
0: the symmetry would be too perfect and that's yeah. what i love is the the i'm trying to think how to word this the amount the, the width of each wing is almost the same but the location of the strong water lines, the drops, completely yeah. independent, but making the same overall shape, which is yeah. what works. You 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 mentioned a second ago, the, uh, the trainer image in water as yeah. well. And, and in fact, you have a series of those images on your Instagram and on your website. Yeah. So I'm kind of thinking about that one here. And I, because I think this is an amazing use of black and white. And it's an amazing... Portrait standing on its own, regardless of you know the the black and white or processing. And when I first saw, I think it was the one of of uh, the personal trainer or wh- whoever. She's doing pushups, but it's almost like she's holding you know small hand weights and yeah, doing the pushups I, off I, of those. I have that here too, yeah. and there's rain or splash going on around her. You've got a series of these wonderful black and white portraits not portraits of nature or landscape but portraits what is your trick what what if you were to share one trick with people who wanted to start doing because a lot of people still to this day that are especially new photographers think black and white is a saving grace if you've got color issues or or whatever what is a tip you could give photographers when doing black and white portraits to get better stronger
1: black and white portraits black and white portraits is about understanding light and um you need to understand how your camera records an exposure i would say that to learn how to get good black and white images first i'm looking for contrast right? i want to go from I'll even go from pure white if there's specular highlights, like like a a strobe off a catch light. That's that's literally pure white, 255, right? Look for your, your large shapes. Stop looking in color. Look at shape and contrast. Those are your two main things, shape and contrast. And then expose for your white. Where do you want your white to land? Because that should be where you dial in your exposure. If you want your white, like in this case, to have beautiful texture and not pure white, then you have to know that. You have to know where to put that to get your best exposure.
0: Yeah, And And so
1: for black and white, I'm always looking at the highlight, always looking at the highlight. Like you do that with color as well, but more so when you're shooting for black and white.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I always think of it as your exposure in and of itself is throwing a dart at a dart board That has scoring circles for zero to 255. Yeah. And you need to choose, you know, because for what I shoot, the dynamic range is so stupid that you're going to have blown highlights. You're going to have clipped blacks and they're both going to be in the same shot. That's right. So you, you, it's the art of compromise and you have to compromise. Where do I want the blown highlights, which in some ways to me is actually a better exercise than just trying to everybody just keep your highlights there are times blown highlights happen, specular highlights, spotlights on a stage. You decide how much of that you want blown or how much of the blacks you want clipped with always the understanding in the back of your head that you're going to be able to raise shadows a lot farther than you're going to be able to reduce, recover, you know, highlights with, with your background. And, and as long as you've been around photography, doing mentoring and doing speaking and doing uh, photography and teaching i'm curious i ask every guest this or at least when i remember to <laughs> who's a photographer that people may not know or i guess even may know it could be somebody famous right but who's a photographer you think people need to go look up and follow new old
1: Can I, can I name two? Sure. I'll, I'll name tell you Seven
0: why. if you want to.
1: Uh, I recently did an interview for, for our students, John Paul um, uh Ebsen just did a, a really great video with him and his father. They're both incredible photographers and printmakers and they, they, they believe in legacy, but John Paul Capenigro, um I could listen to him all day long and I would consider him a, a creative mentor. Self-described, he doesn't say he's a photographer, although he uses a camera. He calls himself an artist. And the camera's the tool. Much like myself, I, I'd say that, you know, the cameras, that, like the, the brush and Photoshop and Lightroom are the studio. So I'd say John Paul Caponegro, because he he has a lot to offer. What, is, the what does he The legacy of photography. So he shoots landscape, creative landscape. He's been to Antarctica. He travels around the world. He does a lot of workshops on printmaking. But his images are manipulated. They're, they're visionary. Okay. They're ethereal. And I, I, I just love his language around creating work. He really, he's a a photographer, philosopher.
0: I like that. Okay.
1: So, and the other one that I'm thinking of is, is a woman I've become uh, known. uh, She started in our mentorship programs and she ran the uh, the, uh, crystal ray scavenger hunt on Google plus, and she's grown into her own. And that's Lori Bauer Novak. And the reason I love Lori's work is she sees the world in a unique way. She takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. And isn't that what we all strive for? Yes. She could see a puzzle, a puddle and make it a Monet. You know, she, she has this ability to see the world differently. And um, she's from Chicago and I'm gonna bring her up because she's been quietly perfecting her ability to see the world in the background without fanfare and has developed a beautiful, strong portfolio of work in that genre.
0: I love it. Okay, two really good picks. And I will have links for those two photographers in the uh, show notes at behindtheshot.tv. So if you didn't write them down, you're driving down the road, Don't start writing while you're driving. Just go to BehindTheShot.tv and find the post later. So before we go, I want to make sure everybody knows where to find you. And actually, yours is pretty easy. RonClifford.com is the website. And by the way, if you watch the video for this, lower thirds are coming up under Ron as we're talking. But if you're on the audio version, it's a little harder to see that. So it's RonClifford.com. And then social media-wise, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Twitter, Twitter. And one of the Instagram accounts, the nature account, are all uh, actually, uh, I'm going to go back to Instagram. Twitter, LinkedIn, and Pinterest are all just at Ron Clifford. Yeah. Instagram, there's two of them, and it's underscores between the words. So it's Ron underscore Clifford or Ron underscore Clifford underscore portraits. Portrait. Or portrait. And then Facebook, it's Ron Clifford photo. So uh, you can pause this, back it up, play that a million times if you want to. And Ron, again. It is nice to meet you uh, face-to-face. I hope that you're doing well. And thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it.
1: I really enjoyed being here and uh, exploring this image with you.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, to everybody, don't forget, follow Ron. All the links, by the way, are just at his website too, ronclifford.com. And for this particular episode, go read what I wrote about him. I take their bio and I kind of add my own stuff to it and mix this magic sauce together and come up with a blog post. And then there is a gallery of images there that will give you a sample of Ron's work. But again, you can always go look him up on Instagram or you can find his website and see that stuff there. I wanna remind everybody about the shows I do with Don Komarechka, the critique shows. Those are only on the Behind the Shot YouTube channel, Behind the Shot on YouTube. We stream them live once a month. We usually have a guest critiquer with us. And uh, usually it's around the early part of the month. So make sure that you check each and every one of those out. If you want to get in on the critique shows, fairly simple to do. You need a Flickr account. It can be a free account or a paid account. Doesn't matter. But you do need a Flickr account. And then you also need to submit your images to the group on Flickr for Behind the Shot. And you can do that just to participate in the community as a whole, I'm not gonna grab your shot and critique it if you don't want it because you just wanna play in the community pool, right? So if that's the case, just submit your images, you're fine. If you want them in the pool, we choose images that we're gonna critique from, tag them with a Flickr tag BTS critique. That way we can search for that, find those images, And then we do these critique shows. And it's a lot of fun. If you subscribe on the YouTube channel, make sure you hit the bell. You'll get notified each and every time that we do a live stream there or that I I post a video there. So that wraps it up for this episode. Thanks again to Ron Clifford. Thanks to you for watching. If you would drop us a review or a, a, a star rating in iTunes or on YouTube, it'd be much appreciated. I'm Steve Brazel. If you need to reach me, feel free to do so on any of the social medias. And thanks again for watching. We'll see you on the next show.